I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast. Your hosts, David, Scott, and Jim, guide you through the chronological epic story of Dune. Enjoy the conversation. Saga Podcast. I'm David Bolton. I'm Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And this is our listener feedback show for Sandworms of Dune. <laughs> of course, let's just go over the ways that you can be a part of this show uh, in the future. You can do so by emailing us at dunesagapodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. You can join us in the chat live while we record. Check the calendar on dunesagapodcast.com uh, to find out when we're doing Great that. way to interact live. Yep. We'll respond to you on the show. Um, so hi to everyone in the chat room right now. Absolutely. You can follow us on Twitter and interact with us there at dunesagapodcast. You can also hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash dunesagapodcast. And there is the mysterious and ever so coveted so much that no one does it call-in number, which is... 1260577-CHAT. 1260577-CHAT. That's 2428. Yes, you too can enter to win. (laughs) Of course, you can send us an MP3 if you want to edit yourself down uh, so that you sound all pretty. Um, Yes, 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 absolutely. So... Um, before we go any further, I want to say thank you to all our Patreon supporters. You know who you are. Find right. us at patreon.com slash Dune Saga Podcast. Uh, there's some great ways to help support keep the show going. Um, kind of help us pay for the books and, and hosting and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. So it's great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so without further ado, Scott, let's talk some listener feedback. Before we do, Jim did up did bring a very good thing up in the chat room that we really should that we'll, we'll open up the discussion here uh, oh. before that. We forgot about the sea worms of Dune. You know, it's that it's book eight in the series that we aren't going to read because it hasn't been written yet <laughs> called Sea Worms of Dune. But Sea Worms of Dune, the ones that create the most potent form of spice. Ult- we didn't even talk about the ultra spice. At the all. ultra spice, and it's the one that that takes Pablo and. Paulo and makes Pablo, Paulo and it makes him Pablo and uh, he makes him comatose, comatose, I can't even speak here. But the ultra spice, spice I am on the ultra spice. That's right. That's right. You know, you know. I just I see there in the chat room that that Roland kind of validates us with that. He says the sea worms ended up being less important than I thought they'd be. So. Roland, thank you. And and being that he is our med tat, we have to uh, bow to that. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it is a plot point that kind of fizzles a little bit. It's cool, though. But at the same time, 
I was just like, how viable is this really? Because they have to kill the sand the, the sea worms to get the spice. But, I mean, wouldn't they overkill the, the sea worms? I don't know. No, maybe they, maybe they'll, maybe they'll be like ultra spice blows and like little, like oil slicks in the middle of the ocean. Right. They can harvest. That's yeah. true. I yeah. thought it was cool that you know they were eating off those other creatures, which we never saw. What are they? Phoebians? Phoebians? Yeah. Phoebians? We never saw where they came from. Right. We got the futars and everything. We never. There was no devious yeah. backstory to the the Phoebians. And they were the only species that weren't inherently evil. <laughs> you know that weren't you know human that weren't inherently yeah. evil. So yeah, I thought it was cool. The concept was really cool, but it just didn't go anywhere. Yeah. They could easily make another book about that. Yeah. And explore that. Oh, for sure. <laughs> There's so many things. Because you could ride the sea worms. That would be, like, kind of cool. It could be about the Phoebeans being, like, the Fremen. Yeah, absolutely. On that that yeah, cool. absolutely. Totally with it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I see it already. There there are so many angles that they could continue. The, you know, they could have a new robot uh, be the bad guy or a new robot be the good guy with the personalities coming out. Or maybe the humans be the bad guy and the robots be the good guys. Yeah. Or, you know, there's just so many. I mean, Star Wars has existed for so long. And how many villains just keep popping up in Star Wars. So, (laughs) anyway. Yeah. All right. Now that we test, now we'll we'll get into listener feedback. Okay. Let's hit the listener feedback, Scott. Kim, Kim, Kim wrote in. And thank you so much, Kim, for writing in from Denmark. He writes and says this Hi, guys. I'm still enjoying your podcast and can't believe it's almost over. Are you are you going to do episodes in the Sisterhood and Mentats and Dude? Stopping right there, we are. Mm-hmm. Where our plan is to do the Sister Mentats and then hopefully cross your fingers, navigators, all at the same time. So it'll be the last three books that we do. Right. We're going to do Road to Dune, um, Dreamer of Dune, Dreamer of Dune, National Lampoon's Dune, yeah, Doom. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, uh, the Dune Encyclopedia, are we going to tackle that a little bit? We'll see where we are time-wise. Yeah. We, we talked about doing maybe the Dune Encyclopedia. That Just would be kind of interesting. Looking read. it over. Yeah. Yeah. Looking over, talking about it and, uh, discussing its point. We also talked about maybe having, uh, Brian Herbert back on to talk about, you know, it'd be great if we could get him on when Navigators releases. So right. we'll see if that actually transpires, but Anyways, he goes on to say this. I would like to suggest that you do a special, perhaps final episode on Brian Herbert's Dreamer of Dune. Well, we just talked about that. We are going to do Dreamer of Dune. You could even follow your established order of dissecting the books. Favorite scenes, moments, characters, quotes, Goodreads reviews, etc. Best regards. Oh, um, the book gives a certain uh, perspective on Frank Herbert's Dune books that I would like to hear your thoughts on. And besides, I think it'd be a proper way of saying goodbye to the universe, the books, and the podcast. Best regards, Kim from Denmark. And then he says, P.S. I wrote you once before a very long email that I did not expect you to read out loud, but you did. Thank you. You asked me why I read the classic Dune books out of order. The answer to that is simple. I just read what I could get my hands on in the order I found them in the bookstores in Denmark. They would usually only have one or two of the books in English. Hmm. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So any anything you want to respond to regarding what Kim said? Um, I think we responded to the, where we're going. Yeah. And that's exciting. Yep. And, uh, you know, there will be a time where we say, say goodbye to the show, either for a hiatus until Navigators comes out or somewhat permanently till the next whatever comes out. To but, whatever we decide to do next. Yeah. The but, show, the Dune Saga podcast will obviously 
be laid to rest. Right. At least for unless something come, important comes out in the Dune universe and we yeah. say, hey, let's do another episode. But, um, yeah. Yeah, but uh, we, we will probably do some sort of literary review. Yeah, it'll, it'll turn in the sand trout that are, <laughs> this is the Dune Saga podcast, right. will form together to make some sort of giant worm-like creature. Literary, literary review creature. With a, loot, <laughs> with a loot riding on its back. Yeah, I mean, yeah. some things will never die and that loot joke will go on forever. Yeah, it's absolutely. Jim, it's up to you uh, to save us all from this uh, diatribe. Go ahead. I'll do that by reading what we got from Ryan White. Hey, Jim, Scott, and David. I read straight through Hunters of Dune into Sandworms of Dune, so I am having a hard time remembering where one ends and the other begins. I was really hoping for more from this book. It did wrap up the loose ends from where Frank left us a chapter house and then Hunters of Dune, but wrapped it up too quick for me at the end. It's hard for me to believe that the Oracle of Time swings in and takes Omnius from the universe. Erasmus decides mind meld uh, with Duncan to become a powerless shadow and Crone and his minions have the plug pulled on them after two books of build-up. Without these things magically happening, the book might have been interesting. Here are some things that stuck out to me. How obvious was it that Thufir and the rabbi were face dancers? How could no one on the ship notice or even think about it? You want to take these points one at a time? Uh, yeah, let's do that. And actually, before we get that, when he talks about pulling the plug and crowing in the face dancers, I instantly had this picture of the Matrix. You know, when they're trying to phone out and like Cypher gets killed oh, and yeah. they like yank the plug and he like drops. That's what I'm picturing with the face dancers when that happens. See, I, I thought that was a fitting like coup de grace of the, of the, well, face. the face dancers. Yeah, I liked that. I was fine with that. However, you know... Norma coming in and just sucking up Omnius. Even while I was reading, I was like, but what? I mean, how does she know all... I, uh, whatever. I mean, it, it made sense. Yeah. And uh, she couldn't find the that planet for the longest time, I think. Right. Because she was kind of searching for it. So they do a good job building it up. But whether it's a little bit convenient or not is... Yeah. It's up for grabs. I mean, she uses the net to grab all parts of him. Right. Which makes sense. Uh yeah, I don't know. It worked, but at the same time, he's right. It was a bit of a deus ex. Yeah. So let's talk about this first it, it point. Sure, that, go ahead, Jim. Sorry. It sure gutted Omnius's character, didn't it, though? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But the thing I think they can't kind of point out is that he's not dead. He's just in a place he can't escape from. Right, and she's there with him. Yeah. So, anyway. But as far as uh, as far as Thufir and the rabbi were concerned, you know... I, it, it, it was a surprise to me because I guess, you know, I don't know if I wasn't paying attention or or what the deal was, but uh, Thufer, you know, to me was one of the heroes, and I didn't know, I I, I guess I didn't want to think that uh, Brian and Kevin would do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think in, the, in our review of Hunters of Doom, we were kind of, all three of us were kind of like, how come nobody's thinking about this? Ah, so frustrating. Right. So yeah. it seemed obvious to us that it should have been 
But how much Star Trek have we watched? <laughs> like, how many times have they done that on Star Trek? So, oh, I know. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, you, you look at it, and I agree with him. Like, how come no one in the ship ever thought, "Hey, we are on a face dancer planet. These two people have probably gotten accident conveniently just as they're about to lift off. They're running frantically toward the ship." Um, I understand the gut reaction to save, but I think that I would have been suspicious. Yeah. I just would have. And yeah. uh, come on, they've been on the run for this long and they aren't going to have that same sort of paranoia? Yeah. I don't uh, know. Uh, yeah. no, it it completely know. makes sense. Totally makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so reading on. Uh, well, just Miles like, Tags. Okay, oh, sorry. I was just going to big, uh, big hello to Jason Steele, who's finally Woo-hoo, joining us. Jason Steele, what in up? In the chat room. Welcome. Yep. Mm, cool. Yep. All right, and then uh, reading on, uh, Miles Tagg's sacrifice was one of the weakest ways for a character to die, and even worse for the Sean Connery James Bond of Dune. I disagree with this statement, and I disagree with it on the premise of Shiana's explanation to Duncan about this, that his, granted, it did not, it did not bring about the end that they were hoping but it was fitting for him as a human being to go down all guns blazing. Yeah. And that is what Miles Tagg did. And there's absolutely, absolutely no way I would say that this was a weak way for him to die. Right. I, while I would have loved yeah. to see him there at the end, I also believe that he needed to die to make room for Duncan. I know, back to that discussion again from the prior show. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Jim, Jim agrees <laughs> with me, so <clears throat> bring with that. His don't, sacrifice. Don't, don't come against the loot master, right? <laughs> <laughs> Miles' sacrifice was, was futile, okay? They were caught. They were going to get captured. But, but as you say, he went down with guns blazing. He was not going to go without a fight and you know whether he was successful of course that would have given his death more meaning but but at the same time you know he he really gave it the gave it his everything to try to save the ship yeah you know he knew that it was futile because even he admitted i can't fix everything i'm just going to fix what gives them the most of the chance to escape. Right. And if they can escape, they can tackle everything else on their own and try and figure that out. Right. And I agree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. It, if he would have known there were thinking machines out there, maybe it would have been done differently, but they had no idea that that ship that hit them could make that kind of turn and use G forces like that uh, to attack them. Yeah. So. Right. Okay, his next point, uh, the irony of the Baron now having Alia in his head and Paul having to fight himself. Definitely irony in that. I think the uh, having Alia in his head, uh, I'm so used to it by now. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like I, like, oh, there's Alia in his head and it's kind of cute and fun and all that, but. They never really explained it, I guess because she was in his head when he died. Yeah. Which they never really explained to begin with. But yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Did we lose Jim? No, Jim's there. Jim? Jim, your uh, video feed cut out. Jim? 
Maybe he's getting this loop. Yeah, I'm back. Okay. Um, I don't know why it it yeah. it died there for a second. Uh, we thought maybe you All were right. going. We thought um, maybe you were going to get your loot. <laughs> <laughs> I left All right. at school today. <laughs> All right. So the next point. <laughs> the next point. The importance of the flawed Waff. How much of an impact he had on the universe and how he accepted his end. I talked about how I like that in the main show. Yeah. I thought that was a good. I like the turnaround. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hey. Um, you know, his impact in the universe, the impact in the universe certainly is there. Yeah. I mean, I didn't feel like it was universe wide impact as much as just. He really had a, he was an end battle character. Right. He wasn't just, he wasn't yeah. just a character that set out. Yeah. Like you would have expected him to. So. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Even uh, even with the wrap-up, including Duncan and Marbella back together, at least professionally, and Shiana working along with Skytail, we still don't get to see the bigger picture of what the universe is like under the rule of Duncan, the rightful and ultimate Kwisatz Haderach, except knowledge of him instructing cleanup crews to terraform planets so uh yeah i guess he's uh i don't know I, the story's got to end at some point right right yeah there's always more like i find a good story when it ends i'm satisfied with the end but i always wish like well i wish i could see this planet or the storyline in a few years to see how what the results of this was, but it's not. Yeah. There's no real. There's no real plot to it. It's just kind of like this wishful thinking of saying, "Well, how's the universe?" Because um, we don't have a story really, unless we right. create some sort of conflict right. in it. Unless you pull a full Farscape and do what they did at the end and have the perfect ending to a TV series. Have you seen all <laughs> Farscape? I've seen up to season two and a half. Have you seen it? Jim, you haven't watched it, right? Uh, I have never watched any any of that. One, it's my first, it's my favorite sci-fi series of all time. I know, I know that. I think we've been down this road before. But anyway, they, you know, they knew it was going to be canceled, so they they turned the main characters into crystallized pebbles, just as they were about to kiss, and then said to be continued, as they just crumbled into little pieces. And the show, was, and they knew the show was canceled, so they were just like. Think about that. There's more to happen, but you'll never see it. So, anyway, <laughs> and that's why they came out now, with when, movies and so on. Yeah. When that was on the television, I was studying for a master's degree, and with the price of tuition, I darn well will tell you that I was studying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's a or nothing. I am the ultimate overachiever. <laughs> uh, All right. Um. So he goes on to say, I give this book a three out of five. I had to finish it, but found myself bored in some places and underwhelmed in others. I am glad that we at least get the Schools of Dune series. The likelihood of anything other than that is very slim, and the Dune universe appears finished. It really helps to go straight into the Legends of Dune series right after this because all of the tie-ins between all the Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson novels. Thank you again for the podcast, guys. And thank you well, for writing in. Miles. He, yeah. You know, he brought up a point that we didn't talk about during during the main show. 
We talked about it for hunters. Could you read and get everything you needed out of Sandworms of Dune without the prequels? Know who Norma Senva is, for one, right. and why she's important. Yeah, exactly. You would barely we know Amias know... and, and uh, Erasmus. I'm not yeah. sure. Let me, let me, let me, let me, um, <sighs> let me say this. I'm not sure how important knowing Norma's background is to this story. She's the Oracle of time. Doesn't that make her flippant important enough? I mean, come on, seriously. But they don't, you wouldn't understand. But how did like, she get to be that? Yeah. Do, do we need to understand that? She... she just is. I think the ending she would, transcends. would bug me. Being like, what is this character? Like, what? Yeah. What is this, this just creature in out of left field. I have to go along with David on this one. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I like it because I now get to see the hottest chick in the Dune <laughs> universe back again. I mean, back that's, that's, that is one thing that I like. And, and so having that background makes me appreciate her all the more. Yeah. But, you know, Scott... Scott's been jonesing over this chick for two years now. Yeah, it, 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 me, it's, uh, it's called it's called an obsession. Uh, hello, Chris. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We need to talk about Scott. <laughs> yeah. Talk to my wife about it. Um, I don't. I don't think she would get too shook up. It's a fictitious character, right? right. <laughs> wow. yeah. uh, well, Jason says Erasmus and Omnius would seem like just bland villains if we hadn't gotten the Legends of Dune, and I agree. I agree that they're just. You could read, yes, you could read this book without the others, but it wouldn't mean anything. Well, you can't say that. We know that they're part of the machine, and they're leftovers of the machines, and all throughout Frank Herbert's books. Uh, that's true. You have the butler and jihad, and the war against the machines, and all machines are forbidden, and we bring the machine, and now suddenly we run into this the thing that they think they destroyed. And, and it's back. So... I want to agree with you, but what we need to do is find someone who has not read the prequels, but only read Frank Herbert's books, and then these two tandem. Uh, I can tell you the Goodreads uh, <laughs> reviews are full of people like that, and they do not have positive things to say. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. By the way, Jason Steele did ask, are we interested in ta talking about the Dune games? Yes. I think he sent an email about that, and I, we will get there and uh, discuss it. Yeah, we will discuss it, and uh, we'd love to have you on because I know that you played them. So, yeah. Anyways, let's move on to uh, Roland Smoker. Smoker, Smoker, Smoker. His email. All right. Hi, David, Scott, and Jim. I have to say it, but I found this book to be very disappointing. I felt it dragged from when they landed on Kelso until... Howitt was discovered to be a face dancer. Then, I felt the end of the book was rushed. Speaking of Kelso, I felt that everything that happened on Kelso was completely pointless. I found it very hard to be concerned about one village's problems when the human race's existence was at stake. Speaking of Howitt being a face dancer, I didn't like how dumb everyone was when it came to figuring out how Howitt became a face dancer. They should have been a suspect the moment they escaped from the face dancer attack on the handler's planet. Amen. Yeah, we're all with you on that one, Roland. Part of my disappointment spawns from an unanswered question I thought we'd have answered by the end of all the Dune books. How did the sandworms originally come to Dune? I know they've hinted that the sandworms were 
brought to Dune at some point before the Legends of Dune series with the title Sandworms of Dune, I thought they'd touch on that. Sorry, but I have a few more complaints. Did I miss something, or was it not explained how Serena Butler was in Serena's head? I thought that Serena only was only child was killed by Erasmus. We talked about that in the main show. Erasmus alludes that she has the genetic memories from a clone. Uh, it's not it's not spelled out 100%, yes. but that's a suggestion. Theorized, yeah. Yes. So let me get this straight. The Oracle of Times takes out Omnius. Erasmus takes out the face dancers. Duncan takes out Erasmus, and the war is over. All of which only occurs when Omnius finally f- finds Duncan. Which means if Duncan hadn't been hiding in the no-ship all that time... The war could have ended decades earlier, saving countless lives. Did I miss something here? I hate to be so negative about the book. I expected more from it. I gave it a two out of five. I will say I started reading Sisterhood of Dune and I'm absolutely loving it. Yep. Don't forget we're doing Dream, uh, Dreamer of Dune. No, um, Road to Dune first. And Dreamers of Dune. Yeah. Before before we get to Sisterhood, we got a little while, a couple months to Sisterhood. So he says this. We we talked about the the uh, Sarita and Shauna said which we just talked about again. Yep. Uh, sandworms of Dune. Do we feel miffed that they, we didn't actually get anything about sandworms and how they got to Dune? I don't think it matters. Interesting question. Yeah. I don't think it matters, though. Yeah. If anything, we get I'm... a discussion on the fact, the fact that we've created sandworms and can now exist on other planets suggests that they did not necessarily need to originate in Dune. Yeah. But that's about it. See, and I'm not of... miffed about it. I would be interested to learn, uh, learn about it, but it it's not something that is probably um, necessary for the story, since it is about humanity. Right. Maybe a short story. Hey, maybe there's something in Road to Dune about it. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know. It's possible. See, get I, James Michener to write it, and he'll write the entire complete history from the formation of the planet all the way through. Yeah. <laughs> it's a heavy little yeah, piece absolutely. of it. Uh, I mean, we did get at least a mention by um, Waif or Waff or whatever his name. He says something like, who knew why they, someone, did someone bring them here? Or I don't know. Uh, why the sandworms are here, but they live on, or something like that. He thinks that, like, right before he gets killed. Right. So, yeah. yeah um, anything else we need to cover here? Uh, uh, oh, he says that everything happens because they find Duncan. I see what he's saying. Part of me is like, it was more than just Duncan. It was culmination of all these things at once. I mean, part of the reason I think that, I mean, yeah, Norma took out Omnius, but he was also stretched pretty thin. Because he was concentrating on so many fronts, and I think because they talk about him kind of fluttering, a little, flickering a little bit before she shows up, because he's doing too many things at once. We must point out that these last four books of of the Dune universe are the longest that we've ever seen Duncan alive. Yeah. Recently. Yeah. I guess we did in the. Uh, I guess we did if you can count the house books and then Dune as being one. Story. We would have seen four books there, but yeah. typically he's like one off. And we have a Gola and then Gola and then Gola. That's true. So that's true. But uh, yeah. yeah. Anything else? We're good with that. I'm good. Jim. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So this was a short comment uh, posted on our website, and it was Matt. 
And she, he said, no way God Emperor of Dune is the black sheep of the Dune novels. David is spot on with his pick of the series. Vindication. Ah. Who didn't like God Emperor of Dune? Was that me? Jim? Roland? I, <laughs> no, I, I thought God Emperor was, uh, was, was pretty good. Actually, I think. It was better than um, it was better than uh, Dune Messiah. Or, or no, 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 no. Wait a minute. That was the one with the constant droning on by Leto the Second, with all his <laughs> philosophical right. Uh, uh, yeah, no, that that was one I didn't care for. Oh yeah, see, I don't recall if I liked it or hated it. Roland can tell me. Yeah, he'll he'll bring up his graph. Bring it up. Uh, you want to cover that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, uh, it, what that's the one that that's a that's the one that my friend uh, in Florida, Rick, said was like a read like a sociology textbook. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, he hated it. Oh yeah, he did. Yeah. Anyways, Jason Steele in the chat room said this. Uh, I feel like Serena Butler was just thrown in at the end to make those that read the Legends of series happy. She really didn't do much. I was hoping they would have made her somewhat important, like coming back to have a convo or confrontation with Erasmus. Um, well, we apparently liked it, Jim. We gave it a 4.5. <laughs> so our, our memories are bad. I okay. gave it a 5. Yep. Yeah, I can't. Then I, then I can't remember. There was one that I just did not care for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you hated uh, maybe Children of Dune. Maybe it was, maybe it was Chapter you, House or Harry. You hated Children of Dune. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Well, anyways, what do you think about Serena Butler being unneeded? Did we need to bring Serena Butler back? No, I mean the moment she talks to Erasmus was kind of cool, but her guidance for Shiana was kind of neat. But she did feel thrown in there because again, it brings us back to the like, why is she there? Right. The only way that you're well, the only connection some... you're gonna have is that. The Butlerian Jihad is named for her, and that's referenced throughout the Dune novels, and it brings it brings a connection to that. But I agree; I don't think it's necessary. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why having that, why having her is important. Right. So, well, that brings us to about reviews. All right. Okay, Deanna rates this two out of five. Kind of like a high school reunion. It's fun to see everyone again, but you're real glad you didn't stay in high school. After I got over the nostalgia factor, this book was just a bit tedious. Yeah, well, she agrees with uh, Roland. Yeah, so. yeah. You know, I mean, I, I got tired of some of the characters, some of the Gola kids, but it didn't really bother me. Yeah. Jim? Thoughts? No, I no. as I said, I I enjoyed it. I didn't find it tedious at any point. Uh, as, but as I said in the epilogue, it was just a, it just kind of really slowed down. Maybe too much. Yeah. Uh, so Sean rated it two out of five. This book kind kind of fell apart. I liked the first half as it had the same kind of tone. And Drive of the Hunters of Dune, which I thought was decent. Unfortunately, as these things started to resolve, Deus Ex Machina things started to happen. 
solutions just appeared because it was time for the for the happy ending. Oh, and oh, the happy ending? It was too perfect. I don't mean perfectly conceived, but more in the way that really he just could have written and they all lived happily ever after. It doesn't work for this kind of book. All their problems are solved. Hallelujah. And nothing and nothing they were trying to do is what fixed it. It was through the magical power of the fact that this is what the author decides to do. In fact, many of the Golas seemed to exist purely so they could wind up having a happy ending. They served no other real purpose. Now, it would be easy to hate Brian Herbert. This was, this was a tremendous series, and his ending just didn't cut the mustard. I wasn't even going to read any of his books until I found out he finished the main storyline as left hanging from the chapter house. He had the unviable un task of trying to please fans of a wonderful work he didn't create, armed with nothing more than an outline. I respect him for trying, and really, though, it wasn't the ending I hoped for. There is some closure in having an ending at all. Also, who is to say Frank Herbert's planned ending would be amazing? He left the outline, presumably, of a lot of these ideas, and they were his. Unfortunately, we'll never know his version, we are left only with Brian's. It falls short, but that's forgivable. I, uh, mm. you know what? I like the respect that he gave Brian. I do. I agree with that. Um, what about this? The, the thought that it, everything's just conveniently resolved. Well, I think I mentioned in the main show that I felt the Golas all had a purpose, and I didn't like that. Like they. Every single one of them had a reason for being, and they all like clicked off their reasons. Well, you know, I understand that, but you aren't going to write character. A good author is not going to write characters into a story that have no purpose, right? So that's the flip side of it. Yeah, but I think for me, the the part was that they kept telling the kids they had a purpose and a reason, and that's the part that made me weary when it came down to. Uh, you know, then finally fulfilling that. If they would have just been like, oh, we made these golas because they might, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how I could be satisfied, but I get what he's saying there, even though I don't completely agree that it ruined the book or anything. Jim? Yeah, I I keyed on on where he says, and oh, the happy, happy ending, it was too perfect. We have been reading books for nearly two years now yeah. And nobody, but nobody has been happy. Yeah. And I'm not going to complain about a happy ending because at least everybody is, uh, you know, it, it's worked out for crying out loud. You know, I, um, yeah, go ahead. I just, I, I, you know, I keep, kept finding myself rooting for characters that like, hey, geez, I hope they can catch a break here. And they never do. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, know ahead, I, I, I you know I I understand that. And um I think I said this in the main show. There is a sense that everything is just maybe neat too wrapped up is wrapped up just a bit too neatly. And that that's just not a reality in any story in any life. Um so in only that regard would I agree with him. The happy ending did not bother me. I was happy to see Paul and Cheney out in the dune. 
I was happy to see everyone getting their act back together. Yeah. And them learning to live with machines. It just, um, I agree with them just a little bit in that. Uh, you know, I have to go back to what Jim said about how no one's been happy. And I realize now that that trained me to look at this ending with an eye for cracks. And when I read the ending last night, I remember thinking, oh, they could make a sequel from this. So I could see how this could go wrong. I mean, dude, can we trust, can we trust the new, like independent robots? How independent are they? You know, all these little things like, would the sisterhood start fighting eventually to, you know, 5,000 because how long this journey has been, it's been thousands and thousands of years. I'm thinking, Oh, 5,000 years down the road, the sisterhoods are like mortal enemies. Now, you know, they kind of degraded away from each other or, or something. So I both applaud that, uh, because it, it, you know, it sparks imagination at the same time. I feel that it, it kept me from enjoying, uh, well, maybe it kept me, maybe it protected me from enjoying a happy ending. Uh, but 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 David isn't wasn't that the point of the whole journey here was to find an alignment of humanity that that could get along with the machines and bring peace to the universe. Yeah, it was. I mean, that's the golden path. So yeah, in a way, that's still the message for us today. You know, how can we coexist with? Our machines and still have peace. Yeah, well, with each other. Yeah, and still have peace. Yeah. So, well, moving on. Jeremiah rated the book four out of five stars. Once again, Brian and Kevin provide us with a dumbed-down Dune novel. That is not to say that it is bad. It is entertaining after all. But don't accept back to be moved to many places at once. Sandworms is a must-read for Dune fans that have slogged through all the others simply because you need to know how it ends. For me, the conclusion <laughs> was satisfactory, and I can finally say that my seemingly insatiable thirst for the Desert of Dune has been thoroughly slacked, slaked. After 14 Dune books, which I believe should be collectively known as the Dune Saga, or the Saga of Duncan Idaho, I am fairly sure <laughs> that I am the Kwisak Haderach. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I. 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 The guy's the Kwisak Haderach. How can we argue with him? <laughs> yeah. Um, it, I guess it is dumbed down, but I have to say, I was so relieved for the dumbed down books after the last two Frank books. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's no doubt you're getting a different type of book. Right. So, yeah. And you know, I, I hate to say dumbed down. Yeah. Stream streamlined, maybe, but not dumbed down. Right. All right. Well, I think that's about it. Yeah. I think that's good. Yeah. Uh, any other final thoughts, Jim? Uh, no, I'm, I'm good. Okay. So you can email them at dunesockerpodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash dunesockerpodcast. Twitter at dunesockerpodcast. And you can also call us at the phone number at 1-260-577-2428. That's right. 
So, once again, for the Dune Saga Podcast, I'm David Moulton. I am Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrow. And may Shai Hulu clear the path before you. Thank you.